0: Um, I'm going to pray for us and then we will jump in. Yeah, Father, uh, we come before you in Jesus' name and Lord, we're just thankful. Um,
1: We're thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that, yeah, I just love how at the deepest part of ourselves, all that all the things Dad talked about, that that motivation can just be the love that you've given us. God, that it's, as he said, it's not out of duty, it's not out of I have to do these things or else, you know, God might cut me off. Um, It it literally is out of we've received your love. We've received your Holy Spirit. um, We've received everything in life. We've received blessings time and time again. And you've just been so good to us that we just can't help but just figure out how to use the life you've given us to just pour out and love as many people um, as possible. And so just thank you that that is the Christian life. That is what you set up for us. It's not you using a stick to hit us to go to the right direction. Um, it's really you just motivating us by your faithfulness, and by your love, all the things we talk about in Exodus 34. And so, yeah, we just have the best the best setup, and we're thankful to be in relationship with you. So
0: I um, pray your Holy Spirit would speak today and just guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. So today... We are talking about Romans 7, specifically the last half. And you guys, if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. That is, If you weren't
1: awake, these are actually in leadership meeting beforehand. We were noticing people were falling asleep. And so we've strategically planned at least two or three of those throughout the service. So, you know, if you fall asleep, just know we've, we've already thought through that, um, along with it being freezing in here. Those are our two strategies we've we've uh, no. No, we did not think of that. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna talk about the burden of legalism today. And you know, I was talking with actually uh, Joe and Jason were helping us set up an Airbnb a couple weeks ago or three weeks ago, and uh, we were chatting. And you know, I knew this was coming up, and I was like, "What? What do you guys think?" You know, I should talk on. Obviously, I pray about it after that. I'm not just a list of them, but they're like. Even Jason brought up. He's like, I still feel like we don't get the whole identity thing. I still feel like as I'm talking to people, we just don't understand the whole grace thing. We don't understand the whole identity thing that just needs to be hit more and more and more because I just keep talking to people that are struggling with it. I have the same conversations. Um, Joe felt similarly. And so I was praying about it and I was like, okay, Lord, identity, grace. So there's a hundred things you can talk about there. What, what should I talk about? And it was interesting. Uh, Jacob and I meet up and he was talking about, uh, he was reading uh, Bunyan And Bunyan talked about in terms of assurance of salvation, which is what I talked about last time. It wasn't only helpful to see the verses on like, you have salvation, it's assured, but it's also was super helpful for him to have to attack those verses that made him feel like he didn't have assurance of salvation. So almost go the opposite direction as well. And so as I was praying, the Lord really brought up like we've talked a lot about grace and identity and all this stuff, which is amazing, but we've never addressed. A lot of the problem that I felt that I've had in my life and God had to deliver me from, as well as the ones I hear from all of you, which is legalism. That's the opposite, right? In a lot of ways. So anyways, that's why we're going over Romans 7 um, today. So first, uh, Tim and I are chatting about it, and he goes, "I just don't think we can define what legalism is. Like we just haven't said, like, what is legalism? So this is what legalism is. This is a simple definition. I thought we should establish this beforehand. Legalism is an attempt to add anything to the finished work of Christ. It's to trust in anything other than Christ and his finished work for one standing before God. So I've seen, you know, I've been in churches and people use legalism to say, well, you know, Ted says we have to get in the word two hours a day. That's legalism. No, (laughs) that's only legalism if you are putting it as I need to earn my salvation by doing two hours in the word. But saying that is not legalism. I'm going to wake up early. That's not legalism. Being a discipleship, all these things we do in our church, this isn't legalism. That's not the definition. You could make it into legalism if you wanted to, but that is not all those things. It is truly just putting anything other than Christ in that finished work. When you go to heaven, do you think, this is what I said last time, that Jesus would say, oh yeah, you went to the prayer meeting every week. You got a 98% success rate in showing up. So yeah, you're in heaven. No, no. Nikki posted a thing on Facebook the other day of a guy saying, Jesus plus nothing. That's how we get into heaven. He's, you say, Lord, have mercy on me. And God says, okay, you're in. That's how it works. So that is the definition we're gonna work off with legalism. Um, another reason why I think we should talk about legalism is I had a conversation with somebody who was older the other day and they had lived their whole life, their whole life. And I think a lot of people do this not understanding this concept
0: and they were in their fifties
1: and they'd been through they were alcohol alcoholism and different things because they they were never taught they were never you know talked that this was never addressed and so their whole life they were living as christian as a christian a devoted christian out of a motivation of i have to do this in order to earn my salvation and it killed them it killed their spiritual walk inside and they're picking up all the pieces now. And I started like tearing up as I was talking to them. And I'm like, I hate that more than anything, that somebody could live 40, 50 years on this earth and not understand how good God's grace is and be motivated at the core out of that. That's just sad. Isn't that sad? How could you live that many years that way? And so that's another thing that really sparked this and why I think it's important. But I wanted to give a little brief overview before we get into Romans 7. Obviously, legalism has something to do with the law, right? That makes sense. Legalism, law, together. So this is by no means a theological overview of the law, but this is a brief overview that might help you understand what we're talking about today. So you guys know, back in the Old Testament, um, God gave Israel, right? The law. He gave Israel the law. And I talked about this, we did a Bible class and I addressed this, but like the question of why, right? Why did God give Israel the law? What was the purpose behind that? And one of the coolest things is I've thought at length about this over the years and tried to sort this out in my head. And okay, how does it all work together? Is if you think about it, if you've ever researched the nations back in the beginning of Israel, they're horrible. You think the world's bad today? I mean, it's bad today, but like back then? are horrible things happening in those nations right that israel was around and so if you think about it if they don't one of the one of the reasons why god gave them the law if they don't the law how do you know how to live how do you know what's good what's bad what's right what's wrong what's going to give you life what's going to destroy you you have no idea right and so it's funny when I was younger, I would always read about David, you know, just like how much he loved the law and he's meditating on it. And I'm like, when I read those chapters in the Bible, I do not have the same feeling. I start falling asleep. That's what happens to me until I started to understand this concept. And I'm like, oh no, knowing that yeah, the law is freaking awesome. Right? Like that's such a blessing. Cause God's like, here you go. Here's how you do it. And it's like, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that guidance. So that was kind of cool. And so the law also shows God's heart, which is really, really cool. If you go into different laws, I just went through uh, starting Genesis in January. You can really see just how good God is also by reading the law. So it, it's, it's pretty amazing. So I definitely, definitely dive into that. But those are two big reasons why God gave Israel the law. And we see in Romans 7, 7, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So we see that in the scriptures kind of pointing us to this. It exposes sin. It shows us what's wrong. If nobody tells you who's ever done something that's wrong and you didn't know it was wrong, and then somebody says it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's wrong. I shouldn't do that anymore. But you never knew till somebody told you. So that's why God gave the law. That's one of the reasons. And so there's different types of laws in these required strict obedience. You know, There are ceremonial laws, um, specifically having to do with Israel's worship. And how kind of Israel could regain right standing with God, because Adam and Eve had sinned, there was this broken relationship between God and the people. And so these kind of ceremonial laws were before Jesus died and paid all that. Um, How do we interact with God? God wanted to be close, but there has to be these ceremonial laws, these things they had to do, sacrifices, various things to pay for that penalty of sin and regain that right standing with God. There were civil laws. Uh, this is like the whole, you know, man gored by an ox, you know, what do you do in that situation? Your ox gored somebody. What do you do? Like, it's pretty, once again, those are pretty cool because they are really good. I'm like, well, it's pretty well thought out, you know, that's pretty balanced in how God did that. And then the moral law, obviously that has to do with uh, the Ten Commandments and, and various other laws. And so these are kind of the different types of laws that were given when God gave the law. But we know and I love in 2 Corinthians, that the law was never a long-term strategy. God did not say, okay, we got it figured out. We're going to write all these things on a tablet for you. you know, take it down to the people, and we'll do this from forever. This is, this is how it happens. No, in the book of Genesis, even Jesus starts coming up, and it's like, oh, there's going to be something that happens in the future. Um, and so this was not a long-term strategy. And 2 Corinthians says this even refers, but if the ministry of death, it refers to the law in letters engraved on stones, Moses bringing the law down from, uh, from Mount Sinai, came with glory so the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. How will the ministry of the fear, spirit fail to be, even, um, to be even more with glory? So you see that it's called the ministry of death uh, in certain points. Now, once again, we have to balance things doesn't mean it was bad. It just means it was not a long-term strategy. It was not a long-term strategy. Um, this was not the nature of the relationship God wanted. He wanted to be how we have it. We've got a best, the best situation now. We get to be in that personal relationship with God. Um, he didn't want the law to be the long-term strategy. And we see this in, um, in even Jeremiah. Uh, it, it refers to the new covenant. I will put put, uh, put my law in their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God; they will be my people. We see this alluding to a future thing that's happening called the new covenant, which is now Jesus, right? Um, that will fulfill the law through His death on the cross, that pays for these sins that we had, that was breaking that relationship. And we see in Hebrews that it talks about Jesus, the guarantor of a better covenant, the new covenant as well. So. Anyways, that's kind of that, hopefully gets us up. And then Romans 7, 4 through 6, we see the same thing. It says, therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, because the law arouses things that identifies it, we're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, here's the key, we've been released by the, from the law. Having died of that by which we were bound
0: so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not an oldness of the letter. It's good stuff. So that was a very fast
1: <laughs> overview to kind of, I think it's helpful sometimes to bring us, you know, just say the law and you guys have no idea what we're talking about. So that's kind of an overview of how we got to the place that we're at currently in Romans 7. And it's interesting because you see some people didn't get the memo about the whole we died, to the law reality, right? Some people didn't get the memo about what the
0: law was even about. You see in Matthew 23, the Pharisees, Jesus refers to them in these Pharisees. Made
1: it all about how can you do the little things right? And that is what earns us our salvation. That's what earns us right standing before God is these little tiny things. So Jesus says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so we get examples in the New Testament of people who've tried the whole, I'm going to do all these things right all the time, and they get called out, right? Because what do you see? They do all the right things. They're showing up to the, and I'm going to be really, they're showing up to prayer meeting. They're, They're in the ministry house. They go to the classes. They do all the things. But as Tad said, is their heart changed? Is their heart transformed?
0: Or are we just seeing an obedience to outward actions? Right? That's what the Pharisees did. It was all
1: about the outward actions. And there was no internal change. The inside was nasty, the stuff that was going on. Not sinful. We're all sinful.
0: Nasty. It was gross in there because it was all about them. It was all self-focused, self-motivated.
1: And Paul dealt with this exact same thing, right? Doesn't it make sense? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As for righteousness based on the law, he was faultless. We were talking about this this morning. Paul was out in the wilderness and and figuring out stuff. I mean, Tad and I, we were all talking about it like definitely greater than a decade. Was, I mean, we don't know exactly, but 10 to 15 years. He was trying to sort stuff out after... Kind of coming to Christ. What do you think he was doing that whole time? Getting his nails done, you know, (laughs) getting his donkeys' hooves polished. You know, it's like he's not, he wasn't, he wasn't, no, he was figuring out, in my opinion, we'll see if I'm wrong. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews. You don't think he struggled with legalism at all? And we're about to see in Romans 7, he talks about it. No, I think he was sorting out this stuff and trying to really understand. I mean, a lot of things, but one of them was getting over this, this barrier. And so, Paul is a great example. And somebody, it's awesome that he wrote Romans because he was the, the legalist of all legalists. He was, he was the main guy. And so, it's, it's pretty cool that he wrote Romans 7. So, with that intro, let's get into the text um, for today. The book of Romans is behind Ephesians, well, equal to Ephesians, my favorite book. And one of the reasons is if you don't know this, this like, un- this like clicked and when I'm like, oh, this is what happened in the book of Romans. This is the context. So um, Emperor Claudius had actually kicked out the Jews out of Rome for about five years. Okay, this is the context for the book of Romans. So he kicked them out. So they're out of there. And so the church was all full of Gentiles. We know the Jewish people were more about the rules. The Gentiles were a bit crazy, right? That was their struggle. It was two different different groups. And so Emperor Claudius kicks out the Jews. What do you think happened to the Roman church? You give them five years to have a Gentile-run Roman church. It's going to get a little crazy, you know? Like they're going to kind of go off the rails a bit to one side, right? So after the Jews come back to Rome, they're like, what's going on here? I do not like this. And they start getting in fights about what's happened, right? The Jews are like, that is not okay. You know, no, we need to be more like this. The Gentiles who sway more to this direction are like, it's fine, whatever, you know? And so there's kind of this like back and forth between them. And that's the context of Paul writing Romans. And that's why it's such an amazing letter on justification, sanctification, spiritual growth, all these concepts is because there were literally these two people who had some different opinions and they were like going back and forth. And so he's like, I got to, I got to write a book that kind of covers all the topics. Does that makes sense. And so that is why it's so awesome that we get to jump into the book of Romans. And with the context of Paul, a legalist writing the chapters, I mean, it's just, it's just
0: great. It's great. So with that, let's jump in to Romans 7. So we see Romans seven fourteen, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am
1: of the flesh, sold in bondage to sin. So Paul obviously has been addressing the law, various different things. He you know, died to the law, but now he's talking about this experience that he has had post-conversion. So there's a lot of uh, commentators who think differently. Some say, oh, it's, it's, it's pre-conversion before Paul came to Christ. But our opinion, I talked to Tad about it and was like, hey, are you on the same page? He's like, yeah, we're on the same page. And I guess a lot of the greats were on the same page, uh, is that this is Paul post-conversion. So he's already come to Christ when he's talking about this. So he says, for we know the law is spiritual, right is Once again, the law is good,
0: but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage of sin. So, the first thing we need to identify
1: is this whole flesh situation, right? What is the flesh? What is he referring to here? Now, I'm not going to die on a hill on this little example, but this is just a general example to maybe give you an idea. There's people who have different ideas about it. This is personally where I stand currently, but it's not like I'm going to break paths with somebody if they disagree. So, we as people have a soul, right? That soul has thoughts. So our thoughts are a part of that, our emotions, our actions, our will, our ability to do things, right? So we're at kind of the core. On one side, we have the spirit of God, right? And the spirit of God is communicating with us through the word, through the Holy Spirit, through truth, right? And so all the good things that happen in our life is coming from God and him telling us about his word and wisdom and wise people in our lives and all this stuff. So that's all coming through the Holy Spirit, through the spirit, And it's going into our soul and we're making good decisions, good emotions, right? Um, Good thoughts. All these things are good because of that. But there's this other side of us, which is what Paul's referencing called the flesh. Okay. And you're going to hear this multiple times. This is where, uh, you know, things like Satan, you know, throwing lies at us. The cosmos or the world system is what the Bible calls it, um, which is pretty much the bed of lies that our society is built on. Oh, you see, be rich and famous. Oh, you just need to have a YouTube channel that gets a million people. Oh, you just need to be a, you know, NFL athlete. Oh, you need to, you know, go drink a bunch. I mean, just, just stupid ideas that are wrong, right? So that is hitting our flesh and being like, hey, you should do this. This is pretty great. And so there's this battle that Galatians talks about between the flesh and the spirit inside of us. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. So we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. So he feels like he's like, I'm of the flesh, man. I have some major issues. I feel like I'm sold in
0: bondage to sin. And a great example of this is Venom. Okay. Who's seen Venom? Very similar, right?
1: Very similar example. He's like talking back at himself. Like um, he's this guy, but he also has Venom inside of him. And it's like this flesh spirit reality, Um Who's experienced this from a Christian perspective? Okay, good. I was like, if nobody if you haven't experienced it, um yeah, i I'm let, let's talk later. Um, because this is the battle of our lives. Like this is what's happening. the flesh and the spirit. We are like venom in a lot of ways. Now which one wins out more often? That's the difference between everybody. But this is our Christian experience. Um And so many of us feel this, right? Um, No matter what you're doing, you can go to mission trips, um, you can go uh, be be a part of Big Brothers, Big Sisters, as Tad said, you can can go to prayer meeting, whatever, you're still going to face this battle of these two natures battling within you every single day. And so we keep going into Romans 7, he says, for what I'm doing, and this is him talking about his experience, so listen, like, like your friend's telling you this, I do not understand For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very
0: thing I hate. So this is fascinating. So he knows what to do. So he has knowledge
1: of what the right thing to do is. So his problem is not knowledge.
0: It's not, I don't know what to do. His problem is power, right? It's not.
1: Oh, I don't. I don't know what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening. To say I'm struggling. I don't have the power to not do these things, and I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Who's felt that? Probably most people. I know what I need to be doing. I want to go to the prayer meeting, but why is it? I'm like, ah, I don't want to go, or I want to get in the word in the morning, but no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go watch TV. You know that we we all feel this on a daily basis. Um, He says, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin, which dwells within me. So we also see a positive thing. Paul realizes that his sins, which this was earlier in Romans, are not who he is, right? That's not his identity in Christ. He says, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin, which dwells in me my identity is in Christ. He's owning that sin while also disowning it, which is a combination we need to get really good at, is how do you own your sin while also realizing and disowning it and saying, that's not a part of me. That is hard. That's a little distinction that is challenging. Because so many people get caught up in owning their sins so much that it almost becomes, I am an alcoholic, I am a liar, I am a, whatever, anxious. There's a lot of people out in the world who say, I am anxious, that is my identity. You know.
0: So how do you own it while also disowning it? Because you are a child of God. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So
1: we looked at that. The flesh is that bad part. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. And so, again, he affirms that he's even willing
0: to do these things, but he just can't figure it out. He can't get it done. And we see this battle in Galatians five.
1: So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires. What's contrary to the spirit and the spirit. What is contrary to the flesh? They're in conflict with each other so that you're not able or so that you are not to do whatever you want. So he's experiencing this battle back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He continues, but if I do the very thing I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. If you've tried to do the good thing, right, the right things all the time, you've realized this situation right here. Uh, C.S. Lewis, a great quote says, he says, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried to be good. We don't understand how bad we truly are until it's like, nope, today I'm, I'm going to be good today. And then it's like, you know, it's like, that's a great way to start yourself off in a bad side because um, it's all self. You don't have the power within yourself. It's all about you. I remember, um, yeah, I used to, uh, you know, when I was younger, I was all about this. I was all about, that's why I actually Johnny got the same tattoo, but I got Sola Gratia by Grace Alone. Because I was like, maybe if I see it in the shower or sorry, in the mirror, in the mirror every day, then I'll start to believe it. And sure enough, yeah, it did work. Um, but this, I was obsessed with this concept of using my time perfectly for the Lord. I'd have meetings booked out from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Discipleship meetings every Friday in college, like every moment of my time, I was trying to plan out and be perfect about like spending it for the Lord. I was like a great legalist. Um but inside, I wasn't experiencing freedom and had a lot of areas of massive sin that I was still doing uh, that now I look back at it and I'm embarrassed by. But I was doing all the right things and all the leaders love me. And, you know, I was getting affirmed and all this stuff. But really, my heart was I had major issues, but I felt so confident in, you know, my legalism that I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it. It was the flesh. If we keep going in Romans 7, for I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul knows that his real inward man has a delight in the law of God and that this impulse of sin comes from a different place. Um, and so he keeps fighting, keeps trying to be good, but he's caught in this kind of desperate powerlessness of his fight with, um, with sin, and he's stuck in self. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? The word wretched here, Paul, or Paul brought it up, uh, Tad brought it up earlier. It actually is wretched through the
0: exhaustion of hard labor. So he is literally saying, I've worked so hard to try, and I can't do it, Right? Another interesting point about this part of Romans 7, Paul's
1: referred to himself in this time with a self-focus, guess how many times? 40 times.
0: 40 times since Romans seven thirteen. So one of our major issues in this battle is we're so focused on ourselves. We're
1: so focused on ourselves and I need to do better. I need to do it, et cetera. But ultimately, what we need to do is come to a point of true desperation where we give up. That's when you actually find it. Um, Years ago, I was talking about this earlier. Um, Allie had a struggle with anxiety uh, and even was like suicidal at a point. And it's really, really dark time in my life. And um, I'm a researcher. I'm a studier. I like reading books. I read lots of books. And so I bought all the books on anxiety, all the books on, you know, Christian books on how to get, how to get out of that and how to fix it and all this stuff as a husband, you know, trying to help her. And I tried for probably 12 months or so and didn't get anywhere. And it just got worse, etc. cetera. And I remember one time, um, I was just, I was distraught because I was trying so hard buying all these books, reading all these books, trying different strategies. It wasn't working. I remember I was, I don't take baths, but I took a bath that day for the first time. (laughs) It's not my normal thing, but I was like, life is hard. I just want to take a bath right now, which is, which is really goofy. But uh, anyways, so, so I'm like, I'm in the bathtub and I'm laying there and I'm so frustrated. And I'm just like,
0: ah,
1: and I remember God just broke me. And I started just crying and just pouring out my heart to him. And I was like, I give it up. I don't know how to fix her. I don't know how to fix the situation. I don't I don't know anything. I know nothing. Like I literally, and I mean I was a pastor, you know, I was ministering, I had a bunch of guys I was discipling, and I'm like, I don't know anything. I shouldn't, you know, etc. And literally within a month or two after that, she got freed. Yeah. 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 Praise the Lord. I mean. And honestly, we're talking about this morning. I think everybody has to go through that in this process. A lot of times I like to call it at a friend called law school. That's really what this is. This whole Roman seven process is law school and we all have to go through it. Unless you're, I mean, if you hit grace immediately and you have it all figured out, good for you. Like that's amazing. But most people have to go through it because the world, everything in our society tells us the exact opposite. It says you do stuff and then you get rewarded. And that's how it works. And this is the exact opposite. It's you surrender everything and give up everything. And then it works. You don't have to do stuff for it. You just have to say, I don't know anything. And then that's when stuff starts working because the power of God is able to fill you then. And so this law school, I mean... That was the moment in my life when things started to click in deeper ways. And so now if I meet with guys for discipleship or whatever, I'm just like, I don't know anything. We go into the meeting. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know anything. And that's not always what happens. Sometimes I do prepare. But like, but the overall is just, I don't know anything. You know, God has to do it.
0: God has to do it. And that's such a freeing place to be at. Because then it's not on you anymore. And the power of God's able
1: to use you. And there's times I leave discipleship or leave a conversation. I'm like, wow, that went surprisingly well. Huh,
0: interesting. It's just it's just God. And then who gets the glory? Him, not us. It's amazing. And so we all have to go through this law school. And if, if you're
1: going through this law school right now, know what's happening. This is what's happening. You're being broken. And God will use law school in your life until you surrender, until you actually snap. And sometimes, um, yeah, once again, i had been a pastor for probably five years when this happened. So you think you're surrendered, but you don't always know, you know. But God will bring the things in your life together in a way and use suffering and use pain to bring you to that level where you're, you're snapped. But that's when everything clicks the most. And so if you're in that season, if you're feeling that kind of law school, no, he's using it. Just keep letting go, keep surrendering, keep surrendering, and it's going to be good. And this is what Galatians said. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole, but I just, this really just kind of enlightened my brain about this whole law thing. It says, but before faith came, so before Christ, faith, all this stuff, we were kept in custody under the law being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. So nobody could actually obey the law. So they were shut up under the law. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. So what this is saying, so this word for tutor, it's alluding to this Roman idea that... um, they would have uh, people's kids would get walked to school by like somebody and they'd walk them to school. It's the same word. So think about it. The, The law is walking us to Christ. That's what's happening because as you, you can't obey the you can't do it right. So you can't do it in your own power. You get closer and closer to Christ because you become more and more dissatisfied with the fact that you want to do these things, but you can't do them. And so you're getting closer and closer and closer to Christ, and then you snap. And that's when the power of God really can be moving in your life. Does that make sense? That's what it's talking about here. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're in law school, you're being led by the law, and at that point, you snap, you surrender. That's when when really the power of God. When you admit, I don't know anything, I need God to do everything because I don't know anything. Those are the
0: points where it's really like, okay, you found Christ. You found Christ in this area. I love that verse. And so he says,
1: thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Sin is the greatest battle in your life. There's nothing else more important than to move forward with Christ and eliminate sin in your life because sin leads to death, right? There's nothing more important in your life. So you think of, I always think of like World War II. Back in World War II, everybody changed their way of life in order to pretty much beat the Germans, right? Beat the Italians. Everybody changed everything. They were putting women who were at home. Now they're in the factories. I mean, everybody was transforming how they lived because they all knew that the biggest thing we had going on was World War II. We have to win this. If we don't, the Nazis are going to take over and they're horrible and we don't want that to happen. So, if this is our biggest battle in our life, then why not focus all of our effort not on sin? but and how, how to defeat sin and live a life focused on the Lord.
0: Why would you not do that? It's the most important. he says it? it's the most important thing you have going on. It is. And so when we're in that situation
1: and we're trying to get better, we need to turn to God, not to ourselves, not to our own actions, et cetera. Because only Christ
0: has the answers for these things. Only the word has the answers for these things. A lot of times, people think the problem is that they, didn't,
1: that they don't know what to do to save themselves, right? I see figure it figured out, so I'm going to learn more things. Well, learning's positive. It's good to go to seminars, learn things. But you need Christ. That's what you need. You need His power to help you through these things. A lot of times, people think they're not motivated enough. I just need to get more motivated. Maybe I'll drink more Red Bull. You know, maybe I'll have more coffee. Maybe I'll, you know, do whatever. That's not your problem. Your problem is not that. Your problem is
0: you need to surrender to Christ these things and let Christ deal with them. Right. A lot
1: of people think that their problem is they don't know themselves better. Let me go do some meditation. Let me go, you know, look internally into what the problem is. Once again, not the problem. (laughs) Not the problem. The problem is you need to go be with the Lord, be with Christ, and let Christ mature you in these areas. The problem is all those first things have to do with yourself. You trying to figure out what's what I was doing. Oh, let me go learn about this. Let me go try this. Let me go know what I need to do at the beginning and say, I don't know anything. I need to start at ground zero. Lord, you show me the way. That's the first step. That's the first step. And we see uh, in the book of Galatians, this is what they were doing. Paul starts off, uh, or actually in in chapter three, it starts off and says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive? See the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard are you, you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh so again i asked does god give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you
0: heard right And that happens with a lot of us. We get saved and we're like, oh, I'm saved. Nice. It's by the the, the Holy Spirit, by grace
1: alone. And then it's like sanctification starts and it's like, now it's all about me. How do I do everything? No, no. It's all about Christ. The beginning and the whole sanctification process is Christ leading it. Christ with the power and all those things. And so if you are now trying to finish the job with your own
0: power, release it, let it go. Give it back to God, back to the Lord. And the whole law was fulfilled in one word, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the motivation.
1: Our identity in Christ God's grace, His love for us, Exodus thirty-four six, the fact that we were far from God, and He sent His Son to die for us to pay the penalty of sin, right? To to remove the power of sin in our lives, so we can actually get over it. And eventually, will be the presence of sin will be taken away when we're in heaven one day. There won't be any sin in heaven. But it's all centered around God's love, and I love D.L. Moody. Um, it was interesting. And there's a guy, Henry Morehouse, who, who kind of uh, went and preached on John 316 for like a week straight to D.L. Moody. And it really convicted him. And, and after that time, he realized the love of God is truly the center of all, of all the stuff. <laughs> and his, his ministry even took even more steps forward at that point. So that was always really
0: cool how he admitted to that. But that's the truth. It all is centered at the core on love. So let's go through some practical,
1: some practical examples. So you're thinking, okay, this sounds interesting. Um, let's
0: go through what, is, what are some mindset changes? And this might help you maybe see how this practically works out. So we have kind of the different area. And then we have people who are kind of under the law, maybe struggling with legalism under the
1: flesh, really about self-focus and then the under grace spirit on the right side. So let's go through these. So first, view of self. Under the law, this is what somebody could think. I'm regenerated, and therefore, I'm able to keep the law.
0: I'm able to do it. I can be good. It's possible. And the law helps me live for God. That's under the law. If you felt that, thought that, etc., People under
1: grace say, I'm regenerate, but I still can't keep the law because of this outer man, this flesh that I'm battling with. I don't have the power. I need Christ to break through that. And then by relying on the spirit, not the flesh, I can gradually change. So many people we're talking about this morning think you just get some shot in the arm and all your sins gone and you have all life figured out, how to have a great marriage, how to have everything. It happens gradually over time. It does not happen overnight. Um I've been talking to multiple people about this who who have that like idea that you just somehow become mature tomorrow and it's like that's just not how it works. If God showed you everything that was wrong with your life, you'd fall on your face and be overwhelmed. And so what we do is we say Holy Spirit, show me what the next thing is you want me to grow in. Convict me of sin, show me what's next. And the Holy Spirit leads that process of growth. One step at a time, not immediately. That's somebody who's under grace. It's okay. I'm not perfect. I'm going to improve constantly and be asking the spirit for what the next thing
0: is. You're on the path. You're on the path. That's what matters. The key to spiritual growth. People under the law or flesh say
1: self-discipline is all That's spiritual growth. You just got to do it. Just do it. Spiritual experiences. You got to get your spiritual experiences. And so, I wake up at three 40 in the morning. So I'm not, not self disciplined So that's not what I'm saying is like, I don't want to put on this face that self-discipline is bad. Discipline's great. It's awesome. But when that's the core of your growth thing is it's all about me just doing it. Just got to figure out how to do it. That's not positive. That's not positive. If you're under grace, you know that ultimately self-effort is not, it's not, it's not how you grow. It's not how it happens. Gritting your teeth is not how it happens long-term. And so you look to this process, not to these quick fix experiences where it's like, oh, I'm better now, I'm better now. It's like, no, how do I improve and how do I become more sanctified today? How do I utilize that time in the word I have and prayer in the morning to just take one little step forward and you take a bunch of those steps forward, you're gonna be in a way better spot than you were a year ago.
0: Doesn't happen overnight doesn't happen overnight. Mental focus. People who are under the law are very focused on their duty and their obedience
1: to the rules. So they're all about how do I obey the rules? How do I, okay, what are the rules for this system? Okay, here's the rules. Yep. You know, just like checking them off at CD group. Okay. What are the five things I have to speak highly about, you know, or or say, okay, I'm going to do it. Check, 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 check. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not full of love. I hate people, etc. cetera, but nope, got the boxes done. We're good. I shared Christ today. Now under grace, under the spirit, you're focused on that personal relationship with God. You're focused on identifying with Christ in his death that you're dead to sin. You're alive in Christ. And truly this is what we should measure maturity by is love. Who has the highest love output? That'd be a better, if we're going to measure it, that's probably a better place to measure it than did you check all the boxes this week, right? And even that can go bad and, and corrupt as well. Yeah, yeah. How much love did I pour out today? But that is somebody under grace is how do I increase the amount of love I'm given? Reaction to failure. Under the law and under the flesh, uh, people who struggle, if you struggle, you're really surprised. Oh, I can't believe it! I sinned. I thought I was perfect. I thought I had the world figured out. That is crazy. I can't believe it happened. Who's done that? Me. I've done that. When they do sin, people might rationalize, minimize self-recrimination, just get caught up in like, well, I didn't really mean to, you know, uh," we're like, it's not that big of a deal because lots of people do it. You know, there's all these things we try to minimize sin in our life and then we vow to do better. It's always, well, you know, from now on, I was really praying and I'm just not going to sin from now on. I think that's probably the best approach forward. We're just going to stop it now, like right now I'm going to stop sinning. It's just like. Seriously? That's hilarious. Like, that's hilarious. You're still in law school, you know, eventually you'll be broken. Under grace, when people sin, of course they don't want to sin. That's not the goal. We already talked about that. But you're not surprised. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I made a mistake. It's like, no, we're going to make mistakes. The goal is grow forward, move forward, move forward. Don't get caught in what happened two days ago. Move forward in the grace of God. What can you do to set up systems or things that can really help you take more steps forward? It's not about looking to the past and being like, I'm just so horrible. I can't believe it. They're confident
0: of God's acceptance. And they return quickly to active obedience and active dependence.
1: Back in the day, this is something that really changed my mind. Was um, it was actually John Piper who talked about it? But he said, "Where do you think God's most glorified? Let's say you make a major mistake on a Saturday night by you feeling horrible for two weeks and not not spending time with Him, just rejecting Him for two weeks. You're like, I'm too horrible. Or literally, right after you make a mistake, you know, you're driving home and you're like, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, thank you for your forgiveness. That was a major mistake I made." I'm going to go talk to my house about it and, and figure out how I can move forward because I don't want this in my
0: life. What do you think God gets more glory from? That.
1: He doesn't get glory for you leaving him for two weeks and just saying, I'm going to go you know, off wherever. No, immediately returning to active dependence and obedience. I think this is two more. Reaction to success. People who are under the law are very proud and intolerant of others when they succeed. I always knew I was this good, man. I am really awesome. <laughs> that, that's what, that's what happens when somebody's under the law. They really see kind of that uh, that kind of execution of doing the right things is like, I'm pretty awesome. And this person, yeah, they're really horrible. They should probably be, you know, punished for that or something. You know, I'm way better than them. People under grace, they're grateful. They're humble. They're like, I'm grateful. I'm doing well right now. This is awesome. They're able to empathize with others. Somebody's struggling. They're not like, well, you should just do better because you're an idiot. That's not, I mean, that's not what it is. It's like, it's like, no, they're able to empathize and be like, yeah, I totally get it. It's hard. It's hard. You know, it's just challenging. We're in a battle here. But you're able to help move them forward as well. And they see their continued need for growth. They didn't figure it out, solve the equation. They continuously and humbly are like, I wonder what I can do this week to grow. Let me pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to really guide me in this process. And it's just one step
0: after another. And that time creates humility. Because if you could grow overnight, you'd be pretty prideful. And the last one, the eventual result of the person who's under the law who's still in law
1: school, still trying to be good, still trying to make it work for themselves, saying they're all about God, but really just trying to do the right thing all the time, is external
0: conformity, but increasing internal defeat and hypocrisy. You go one of two ways. You either get defeated and you give up or you lie. Those are the only two ways for the legalist you lie or you give up. There's no other way to go. And continually
1: growing in cynicism. You know, think of people you know who've fallen away from the church. A lot of them have struggles with law school. I tried. I went to church. I I listened. I read the Bible. It didn't do anything for me. I still kept struggling. I still kept having issues. I've met a lot of people who that's their story. And they're like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And they're cynical And they're in despair about their lives because they never got the grace thing. They never got Romans 8
0: (laughs) and the previous chapters of Romans as well. (laughs) Um, And ultimately, they're going
1: to be self-righteous and be full of comparison. Always looking to everybody else. Okay, let me look at the room. Who's the best? Okay, that person. Okay, how do I match to them? But about 50%. Maybe if I share Christ with five people a week, then I can be as good as them in this. If I do this, I can be as good as them as this. Don't tell me you haven't done it before. You have. We've all done it. Instead of, Lord, you've given me this life. How do I grow? What do you, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to take steps forward? And show me, I want to grow. I want to be used in whatever way that you can use me. You know, that's what we're going for. And so the undergrace person has this gradual, once again, gradual transformation of a person with a spiritual mindset and a more loving and Christ-like person over time. You're not going to have it figured all, all out today, and you don't have it all figured out today. And so why not live by grace and love and dependence on Christ for the power to grow versus under the law and trying to be good
0: on your own power, right? it's a much much better life and that's how people truly grow
1: it's by giving it all up saying i don't know anything you have to lead me lord and just meditating on god's love his grace and eventually your heart gets transformed into this heart that you change from this i have to do all these things to i get to do all these things and that's another t- tall tale sign or telltale sign telltale i don't know i haven't Telltale sign. Yeah, that makes sense. That's another telltale sign you're struggling with this is if you constantly have this attitude of like, I have to do this. I have to go to seminar. I have to go to prayer meeting. I have to get in the word. I have to live in the ministry house. I have to. That shows you have an issue. There's a problem that's been diagnosed and you need to talk to somebody about it because we got to start figuring it out because that will not last long term what you need to get to a place of, which none of us are perfect. I mean, Tad talks about it. I feel this way sometimes. I do feel sometimes, oh, I got to go to this tonight. But, but I know I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, nope, not going to do that. We're going back to the grace thing. But um, you want to get to the place? I get to. It's a privilege to come to church. It's a privilege to go to seminar. It's a privilege to lead the ministry house. It's a, all these things are privileges that I have. They're not have to's because Christ died for me. He paid for all my sins. He wants to be in relationship with me on an individual basis. He wants to use me in people's lives for purpose and for meaning. And so when I go to heaven one day, I have all these people that I've been able to impact and love and care for and be used in their lives. Like that's what we all want more than anything. And the path is God's grace and his love and our identity in Christ. Not I need to do it on my own. I need to do better. So. I talked about Romans seven. It'd be great to have three hours and be able to go into Romans eight. Um, maybe somebody next week will jump into that. Who knows? But obviously I talked about Romans seven. There's so much more in Romans. If you're interested in, in hearing more, come talk to me, talk to anybody. Um, jump into Romans eight. Obviously this is attacking the Romans seven place, but Romans eight really gives you a lot of vision on how this works out. Um, and ultimately it's the same type of stuff humility, surrender, setting your mind on the spirit. So
0: um, yeah, with that, I'm going to pray for us and uh, yeah, we'll start our prayer time. Father God, we come before you in Jesus name and Lord, just thank you for Jesus. Um,
1: Lord, just thank you that uh, the law and um, just us trying to to do better and, and improve ourselves and perfect our flesh. And that was not something that you wanted for us. That was not a, even a long-term strategy, Lord, that you always, you always had the plan that now has been enacted, that we have a personal relationship with you and that we can lay it all down and surrender everything and ask for you to guide us in this growth process of sanctification. Um, and just like we, we were justified, just like we came to you, We can improve, Lord, step by step um, and really just have a joyful life, becoming more and more um, sanctified and holy and and be able to be used in more and more powerful ways. So, Father, just pray for anybody here who uh, is in law school currently and and notices that they are kind of uh, really trying to perfect themselves on their own, that they're not really tapping into the power of God for transformation. And just pray that you would uh, push them to talk to somebody to, um, yeah, now that that's been exposed, to really uh, figure out steps, Lord, moving forward so that they can really turn uh, how they're currently growing and so that they can actually experience all that you have for us, God. Um, you have great things. You want great things for us, but we have to have the right core, Um and so, yeah, we just pray for everybody in this room that we would all have that Lord and we'd all get there and that your Holy Spirit would guide us there. So we love you. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for our identity in Christ. And I'm um, just pray that, that our church would be known by the love that we have for others, that that would be what we were marked by is our love uh,
0: for others, Father God. So I uh, pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.